You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning I want to talk to you about friendship. And friendship is something that seems easy at the beginning of your life when you're in elementary school and then harder as you get older. Am I right? It seems like, you know, uh, as we're younger, friendship comes easily. Meet a kid on the playground and immediately you're friends. Uh, it doesn't matter what they look like, where they came from. They're just like, do you want to play? Yeah, let's play, and off they go. And then as we get older, we're like, we find it's harder to have friends, or the friends that we do have, either we grow distant from them, they get busy, or they pass away, and life changes, and the dynamics of our life changes, and we, we, we find ourselves longing for friendship. It's interesting, too, that when you're younger, what's the thing that you look forward to the most? You look forward to getting older, Right? Like, when you're younger, it's never just that you're like, well, I'm eight. I'm eight and a half, right? If you're uh, 12 and you're going to be a teenager, well, I'm going to be 13 soon. And at a certain point, it kind of loses its luster. Like, you look forward to being 18, because at 18, you're an adult. And how many know, like, if you've walked through life, uh, you're not really, an, you don't even know what an adult is at 18. Like, you're like, I'm an adult now. It's like, have you ever done a mortgage? No. You're like, do you know how to do your taxes? No. It's like, I don't know how to do any of those things at 18. I still need mommy's help to do my taxes when you're 18 years old. So what we look forward to, you know, we look forward to 21 because then, you know, we're legal for other things that we can do. Then after that, it kind of goes downhill. He's like, what do you look forward to after that? Okay, 25, when I can rent a car and my insurance rates go down. It's not really exciting Anymore, But the very interesting thing about when we get older, we get nostalgic about when we were younger, don't we? We get older, we're just like, man, I just wish we could just all hang out again like we used to and all the things that we used to do and all the fun we used to have. Meanwhile, back then, you're like, I can't wait to get older, right? But getting older means like you get further from that and it kind of, you see that in the rearview mirror and you long for those simpler times, you long for those earlier days, you long for the friendships and connections that you had when you were younger. Helen Keller once said that walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. Now, if you know Helen Keller's life, you know she was born deaf and blind, and were it not for the help of a friend, she would not be able to communicate or even be able to enjoy life. So she understood that friendship made the difference for her. President Ulysses S. Grant said, A friend in my adversity I shall always cherish most. I can better trust those who have helped me relive the gloom of my dark hours than those who are so ready to enjoy with me the sunshine of my prosperity. Chuck Swindoll, a pastor, said, I can't even imagine where I would be today were it not for the handful of friends who have given me a heart full of joy. Let's face it, friends make life a lot more and that's the truth. You like having people with you to do things. If you're afraid of roller coasters, you like having a friend with you that can go on that roller coaster. If you don't like airplanes, then it helps when you have a friend to go with you on an airplane. I'm not speaking of anybody in this room or anybody on this platform. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, okay, that that would happen. Things are easier with friends. You know, new experiences are easier with friends. Going to a party is easier with friends. Uh, going to that school dance is easier with a friend because you have somebody with you to kind of help you along the way. Friendship is something that you cannot force 
You can't make someone be your friend. And we all know people who've tried, and it just doesn't work. Or maybe you've been the person that's trying to pursue somebody to try and make them your friend. It never works. Because friendship is something that has to happen naturally. It has to happen organically. It is not something you can contrive or make happen. Friendship's also a give and a take. If there's more take than give, then that's not really friendship. Friendship is uh, people doing life together and sharing each other's company and enjoying it, but also benefiting each other's life. Some memories of friendship I've had growing up. I remember I was just talking with my brother yesterday, and we were remembering our neighborhood days. I remember, like, growing up in the neighborhood and all the things that we used to do in the neighborhood. And we used to have, like, uh, you know, neighborhood-wide water gun wars. Or we would have neighborhood-wide football games, and we'd, our street would play another street. And uh, couldn't play in my yard because my aunt would have a fit if we played in the yard and wore down the grass. And so we played up on this level part of uh, a street called Chilmark Street. It was the only kind of level place on this hill. And we would play football. And, it, you know, it was tag football, but occasionally maybe you get pushed a little too hard. Maybe you trip a little bit. And when you landed, you bore the marks of playing football on the concrete pavement as you had gravel and shrapnel and, like, rusty nails or whatever was on that street at the time like in your hands when you landed because you were out there and you're giving your best and giving your all and we would play and we would enjoy that my brother was also reminding me too that the thing that we also used to do when we were younger is we would ride bikes everywhere and we would go places and he's like remember that time that we rode all the way to white city cinema in shrewsbury and i said yeah now you have to keep in mind that's probably like three or four miles from my house okay and uh, you had to go over the Quinsigamon, uh, Lake Quinsigamon by via a bridge, which was like also a uh, highway bridge, too. And so we all decided, hey, you know, it'd be cool. Let's go ride to the, the cinemas that were in Shrewsbury, the next city over. And that's what we did. And, you know, if my mom knew that, and she knows it now because I'm saying it, <laughs> she would have a fit because we were not supposed to do that. We were supposed to be with an earshot of wherever we were going. And so if we heard from... Like mom calling our names from the back window, we knew that we needed to be with an earshot. Otherwise, we were going to be in trouble uh, when we got home. And so we would ride all over the place. And usually that was the idea of friends, to do those things, to go places we shouldn't go, to do some of the things we shouldn't do. And so there are some childhood friends that you're like, those were really good friends. And then there's other childhood friends you're like, I probably shouldn't have been hanging around them. Like we were talking about that there was childhood friends that, you know, they were the first to you know, uh, do things you shouldn't do. First to drink when you're not supposed to be drinking at 12 and 13. First to smoke weed. The first to, like, try cigarettes. And I always had this one friend that uh, he was always willing to try everything, but he didn't have an addictive personality, so he could pick it up and drop it whenever he wanted to. Meanwhile, everybody else that was his friends got into it, and they were like, they couldn't quit. They couldn't quit. Like, they're still smoking to this day, still drinking to this day, still smoking weed to this day, and then that person just going on doing their merry way. And we realized that there's some friends that just, yeah, they just weren't really a good influence on us growing up. We fortunately stayed away from that because we were scared and terrified of our mom. And that's a reality, too. So, like, we didn't want to find out what was going to happen if we got into those things. As, you get, as I've gotten older, my friends have changed. Um, there's friends that, like, I love just being able to get together and know that, like, whenever we connect, 
Um, we could always uh, catch up on things. I had a friend named Paul from my time working at Lego in Enfield, and whenever we grab lunch together, it's always like, like no time passed at all. You know, we can just catch up, and it just is, we end up uh, leaving that time. We said, we got to do this again soon because we just so enjoyed it because we recognize that life is so busy and it's so hard to find uh, time for people and so hard to find time for friendship. Some of my friends as I've gotten older are fellow pastors. My friends Stephen and my friends Matt are people that uh, are pastors close to the same age as me and we're kind of walking through this pastor journey together sharing our, our joys and successes, but also sharing our heartbreak and our pain and some of the things that we've had to go through both personally and ministry-wise. And uh, they've been there for me, and I've been there for them. It's been a wonderful experience. And then I have mentoring friends, friends who have uh, really helped accelerate my life, move my life forward. It's not just about having friends who are peers, but having people that encourage you to do better and to be better at what you do. Friends like uh, my youth pastor growing up, Pastor Bill Button, who is my youth pastor, and then later on I became his youth pastor working under him. And that relationship is something that we've had for a good uh, number of years, probably since I was 12 years old, probably going on 35 years at this point, uh, you know, knowing each other. Pastor Wayne Shirk, who you've heard rather often here, is like a, a, like a second father to me, really, just someone who cared about me, who treated me and my family like it was, we were just their own and uh, really just was just wonderful and gracious to us and appreciated that friendship. Uh, my, my friend Jan Nell, who passed away last year, a dear friend to us who is someone that was just, uh, who would challenge us but encourage us and helped us to believe God for greater things in our lives. I tell you that today because we need friendships like that. Friendships that we can just connect with and, and not worry about anything at all. Like when I get together with my brother, it's always like, you know, I can really let my hair down with my brother. Like, I, I really do love my brother. He's, he's a great guy, just very easygoing. We sometimes banter back and forth, and, but I can be myself around him. And that's not always a good thing. How many know that sometimes there's people you can be yourself around and maybe you're a little too comfortable with those conversations, and maybe you're a little too much yourself. And we laugh, and we have a good time, but we need friendships like that. But we also need friendships in which you know, there's people that walk through us, that walk through things at a particular time in our lives, and they're right there with us. And then we need people that are going to spur us onward to greater things. We need those kinds of relationships. Most of us would agree that if you have a friend like that, you would do anything for that friend. Now, if you're here in church today, you're here because someone invited you. And whether you're here, you know, now or... Uh, so if you're here in church today, it's because someone invited you. Whether it was yesterday, earlier this week, or 30 years ago, you came to church because someone said, hey, come to church with me. And we're glad that you're here. And, you know, uh, this is something that uh, was initiated by someone else. And you might sometimes uh, feel out of place in those moments. You might feel like you don't belong in church. Like you've never felt comfortable with God because, you know, others have put God out of reach for you. But can I tell you today that, you know, if you're here, it's because you're welcome here. God loves you. Your friend loves you. And they want you to know what they know and experience what they've experienced. 
even if you feel like, you know, church, like I don't feel, you know, in place in church. And sometimes you hear people talk, and they've said to me, well, I'd go to church, but if I went to church, the building would fall down on me. Or if I went to church, you know, like the place would catch on fire, there'd be an earthquake, because they like, the, the context is I'm so bad that like if I came to church, something bad would happen. But can I tell you just something that maybe we don't often know about Jesus is that Jesus went to people that were not the best people in the world, and he reached out to them to be their friend. He, he went to where they were. Instead of like sitting on a mountainside like some wise guru and waiting for people to come to him and, and to, to come down and bow before him so that he could you know, dispense wisdom to them, Jesus literally went to where people were and went to the people that no one else paid attention to, went to the, the individuals that no one cared about, and, and, and showed what God was like, that God was full of love and compassion towards them. His friends were people that even religious people were uncomfortable being around with. Look at this, Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says this because he's probably heard this before. Matthew 11, 18 and 19, he said, you know, for, they said John the Baptist didn't spend time eating and drinking, and they said, this guy's possessed by a demon. But he says, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is shown right by its results. Now, what he's just saying here, Jesus is, is quoting back things that he had heard people say about himself. He said, you know, John the Baptist went about, he didn't eat or drink or hang out with sinners, and people said, that guy's demon-possessed, because that guy's crazy. Jesus comes, and he says, he starts reaching out to people. He, he connects with people that no one else connects with. He even went to the homes of tax collectors and sinners. He went and associated with prostitutes and divorced people, and people that uh, were sick, and people that uh, had leprosy, and he and went and uh, spent time with them, and they said, well, that guy there, He's, a, he's a, a glutton. He eats too much. He's a drunkard. He drinks too much. Now, Jesus never got drunk, but guilt by association. Now, Jesus was hanging around with the wrong crowd, according to religious leaders. But there's a difference between hanging around with the wrong crowd and being influenced by the crowd and going into a situation where you're hanging around with the wrong crowd and you're a positive influence on that crowd. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I always tell my kids all the time, it's like, listen, when you go to school, don't be influenced, be the influencer. And that's a little harder to do than it sounds. Like, I'm sure that they've tried it, but it's been hard because sometimes you're left out of the crowd. But oftentimes they have done their best to just represent their, their, uh, their beliefs, their faith, and their morals well. But Jesus went and hung around with people that were part of the, the wrong crowd because he wanted to show God's love to them. He wanted to show God's grace to them. He, he hung around with people. He set a prostitute free from demonic possession. He rescued a woman that was caught in adultery. He spoke and interacted with Roman centurions. He ate in the home of tax collectors and sinners. He touched lepers. He healed the sick. And he did so intentionally to show God's love to them. And the way that he loved them is he shared life with them. He cared about them and showed them the way to God. So if there's ever a moment where you think that you're not good enough for God to love you, I want you to know that he showed his love for all when he walked this earth and that he loves you too. No matter whether you think you're good 
or you're bad. Now, earlier I talked about good friends and how, like, you know, there's friends that you know in your life that you would say, I would die for that person. I would take a bullet for that person because they mean so much to you, you care so much about them that you're like, you know, whatever happens, I would, I would more than willing to, be give, it, to give my life for them. But I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You still with me today? Uh, you have to know I talk fast and I yell. I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize in advance because that's kind of the way I am and that's sort of the way I do. But I, I do so because I am very passionate about what I believe. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said in verse 6, he said, When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. He's including himself there. Now, most people would, be willing, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice at our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I want you to think about that for a minute. In your, whatever you're practicing in terms of religion, the question I have for you is do you look at God as though he's your friend? Can you honestly say that he's your friend? Because that is the goal of Christianity. Jesus came to earth. Think of the the incredible uh, dichotomy and the the, the oddness of, of of God himself coming down in human form so that he could interact with people and meet with people and and sit down across the table from people and eat and drink with people, share life, hear their stories, weep with them, rejoice with them, uh, heal and restore them. Think about that for a minute. And and then I want you to think about the, the way that we practice religion today. And can we actually say that we are friends with God? And Jesus has made it possible so that we can be friends with God. I talked about how uh, there's friends that we would die for. Most of us would not, you know, scriptures say most would not be willing to die for an upright person. And someone might perhaps be willing to die for someone who's especially good. But I want you to think about this. Would you ever die for a bad person? I'm talking about a person you dislike, a person that aggravates you, a person that annoys you. Would you die for them? Probably not. The majority of people wouldn't. But think of the person that you despise most, the person that is morally and ethically bankrupt. Would you die for them? I'm guessing most people wouldn't. But the point that the Apostle Paul makes when he writes in Romans chapter 5 is that, yet Jesus, when we were at our worst, when we were that morally bankrupt person, when we were that person that uh, was an enemy of God, when we were far from God, it says that Jesus loved and died for us. In verse 6, it says, when we're utterly helpless. In other words, we were far from God, living for ourselves. When we were doing that, Christ died for us. Notice that the word he used is us. He didn't say Christ died for you sinners. Even though he's the apostle Paul, even though he was one of the most significant people in Scripture, even though he wrote three-quarters of the New Testament, even though he's in the pantheon of saints in heaven, you know, the apostle Paul didn't say Christ died for you, 
you peons who are filthy, unwashed masses. He said he died for all of us, myself included. And I, I, as your pastor, include that too, that I am one that Christ died for and so that I can be forgiven and that I can have friendship with God. We were all once enemies of God. And Jesus lived out his words when he said to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did what most people wouldn't be willing to do, to die for someone he, we didn't know and to die for someone who is bad. He took the punishment we were meant to take on himself, the condemnation that we were going to receive from God. He took it on himself as an act of love and friendship. And remember what he, his death brought about. Life and friendship with God. We were helpless, hopeless, but salvation through faith has made it possible so that we can not only know who God is, but that we can have a relationship with God. So three things. What makes friendship with Jesus so different? Because his friendship was altruistic. It is true. He didn't choose us because he wanted anything from us. Jesus wasn't trying to use us. Do you ever have a friend that you like, all of a sudden uh, you come into some money? Or if you're in college and you have a car and you can get off campus. This happened when I was in college. People I wouldn't even know would want to be my friend. They didn't have a car. But me, I had a car. So they would kind of be, hey, hey, how you doing? What do you want? Oh, I just wonder if you could take me to the store. I just wonder if I could borrow your car. There are people that use you for what they can get out of you. I don't like being that kind of friend. I don't, listen, think of it this way. If you only had a friendship where the only time you heard from somebody is when they wanted something from you, you probably wouldn't take that call, I'm guessing. But Jesus, is, his, his friendship is altruistic. It's true. He didn't do so because he's trying to use us or get something from us. It's because he genuinely loves us. His friendship is because he loved us first. He didn't ask us to impress him in order to be his friend. He offered his friendship freely. He was not afraid to be friends with people that no one else wanted to be friends with. So Jesus, you know, maybe as you remember like in high school, and you had friends, and they would hang out with you until better friends came along. And then all of a sudden they leave you and they go be with somebody else. You know, Jesus wasn't one who was like, hey, I'll hang out with you as long as there's not better people around. And I'll leave you at the moment, the better people around. Sometimes we think of God that way. We're just like, you know, you know, God is only a friend to the ones who go to church. Jesus isn't only a friend to the ones who are, you know, good people and the best people in the world. I don't belong in church. I don't, I don't fit in church. I don't even know where to begin in church. Can I tell you today, there was a once a day that we all thought that. There was a day that we said, well, I don't necessarily belong here. I don't fit in here. But then we recognize that we're, you know, the people that are sitting in these seats are not all that different from you. They're not all that bad either. They're okay. They're okay. You're okay. You probably say that to me too. You know, the pastor, he's always okay. No, you guys are wonderful. But understand this is that like there, we sometimes think, well, those people are so good. That's why they go there and that's why God loves them. God loved all of us. When we're at our worst. And he said, you know what? Come to know me and be a friend to me. And guess what? I've got friends for you to meet. The only reason why we're even sitting in this room is because 
the love of God that was made available to us, that was shown to us, and then we were introduced to God, and we came to a place to worship God, and guess what? We found that we're not all that dissimilar from the person that sits next to us, and we found camaraderie, and I would even dare say some of us have found family in being here to know God and to know each other, and that's a wonderful thing. It makes it different because Jesus made friendship available to us, friendship with God that no one could be on their own. And he was a friend that spoke truth when no one else was willing to say it. Don't you love and also hate friends like that? Friends who are like, you know, the book of Proverbs says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses or multiplies compliments. Saying a true friend is going to tell you the way it is, even if you don't want to hear it. And that's what we do. And Jesus was always upfront. He loved everybody. He was gracious and merciful and kind to everyone. But when something needed to be confronted, he was always the one to confront it. That's what makes friendship with Jesus different. What makes friendship with Jesus possible is made possible through the love of God that the Father showed for those who do not know him. John 3.16 says this, is that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17 says that, that God, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And so God made it possible. The Father sent the Son so that uh, there would be a connection there that someone would breach the gap, that someone would extend the olive branch and make it possible for us to know God and be friends with God. Jesus came into this world to make the love of God known. He spoke it, he shared it, he demonstrated it, and he made it possible for us to have friendship with God. Friendship with Jesus is possible through what he did on the cross for us. While we were still sinners, while we were far from God, he died for us because he loved us. And when we thought that no one else would love us that much, Jesus demonstrated it to us in his death. He went to the cross for our sake. And because of that, friendship with Jesus is possible through faith in him. Usually friendship begins when one person demonstrates interest in the other person and the other person responds, right? Most friendships begin that way. You know, a friend, you have somebody who's a co-worker, you strike up a conversation, you talk about the Food Network, you talk about the latest show that you watched on Hulu, Talk about your interest in gardening or your interest in whatever the case might be, and you find that common ground, and then you connect and you develop a deeper friendship from there. But how many know that sometimes at one time, you know, a person can extend the invitation to friendship, engage in a conversation, and the other person could say, I'm not interested at all. Whether by their body language, or they go, oh, look at the time I had to go. And they don't want to reciprocate that friendship. Christ's love is made available to us in the Word of God, shown us the Word of God and made it clear to us that He has an interest in us. He cares about us. He loves us. He chose us as unto His own. But if we kind of say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not interested in friendship, we are choosing to reject that. But when we accept it, that is faith, believing in the words that have been spoken to us, that God loves us and cares for us. Faith is a response to when we understand who Jesus is and what He's done for us. When we believe in him, we are saying, I accept that invitation for friendship. 
Now, what makes friendship with Jesus so valuable? What's different about the friendship with Jesus that I can't get anywhere else? Why should I be a friend with Christ? And the answer is that, that because of it and by it, all other friendships are made eternal. I'm going to say that again. By and through it, all other friendships are made eternal in him. So everybody that sees sit in this room, that if they have faith in Christ, you will see them forever. And you're like, oh, man, they're going to see them forever. <laughs> Think of life. Here, I'm going to say this. And, you know, this, this, this means so much more to me now that having lost two very special people in my life last year that all of our life is focused on what we've lost and we feel the absence of that person's relationship and friendship in our lives and we just long to get that back. Now, if you have no hope beyond this life, if you're a person of science and you believe like, you know, when we're dead, we're dead and there's nothing after that, that can be very discouraging, depressing. In fact, death can be very frightening because that's how you think of life is that all we have is this and there's nothing more to that and even if you lose someone that's close to you, it may be hard for you to even want friendship anymore. Can I tell you today that in Christ, not only do we live forever, but everyone who has chosen to believe in Christ lives forever. So there is no end to our friendship with one another. It is everlasting to everlasting the same. So one, the wonderful benefit of our, and the value of our friendship with God is that not only are we friends with God and we have eternity to look forward to forever, we can look forward to being with one another forevermore. I don't know about you, I want to see you there. I want to go visit your house. I want to go knock on your door and ask for a cup of sugar. I want to go to your house and have a cup of coffee. I don't know how it's going to be up there. I don't know. We all want to go to heaven, but we're like, we don't know a lot about it. It's a wonderful mystery, but, you know, to be able to do that. The tragic thing would be that if I get there or you get there and you're not there, because now I've lost that friendship forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why you're here today, the reason why you were invited is so that that person, that friend of yours is saying, I love you so much. I value our friendship so much that I don't want it to end when we're gone. I don't want it to end when you die. I want it to be there that when we, we get to annoy each other for the rest of eternity. Did I get to be sarcastic like Mary is sometimes with her friends for all of eternity? I look forward to that. I want you to give me a hard time in heaven. I really do. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's by Christ, hallelujah, that we have forevermore the friendship that will never end with God and with one another. And then I'll see your face and I'll see your smiling face and I'll enjoy your sarcasm. I'll enjoy your jokes. I'll enjoy your company forevermore. That's the value of friendship with God. Hallelujah. Because only through him can we hope to see heaven. Because unlike most friendships, the way that Jesus' friendship is different is that he'll faithfully stay by your side even in your darkest hour, even when everybody else is forsaking you. Hebrews 13.5 says, he will never leave us or forsake us. Why is friendship with Jesus valuable? Because when we talk with him, he doesn't just listen. He acts on our behalf. Because to be friends with Jesus means you're friends with God himself. Because friendship with Jesus means your sins are forgiven and your past is remembered no more. Because friendship with him means we have a purpose 
and a calling now. So our past is forgiven. When we choose to come to him, he only, not only just, not only do we come friends with God through faith in what Jesus did, we have to understand that the cross has brought about the payment of all of our sins and all of our debts so that we can have a clean slate with him. And now we're forgiven. Our past is gone. And now he says, listen, I've got a plan for your life that is so much better than anything that you could come up with. God has that plan for our lives. And only when we enter into friendship with God do we realize what God's plan for us is. In Jesus, we have a friend like no other. You still with me? I'm going to land the plane soon, I promise you, okay? Even though I don't like planes. There's an old hymn. People love it. What a friend we have in Jesus. No, it was not written by Alan Jackson, okay? He's made it popular, but it wasn't written by him. We often think that hymns and religious songs were written by perfect people who don't have any problems. But often you'll find that the story behind the song tells us something different. What a friend we have in Jesus was written by an Irish Methodist minister, Joseph Scriven, somewhere between 1850 and 1860. He was Irish and he moved from Ireland to Canada. And tragedy stuck, struck his early life when his fiancée drowned on the night before their wedding. He went to seminary and then endeavored to join the military, but then became ill and was unable to complete his military training. Instead, he returned to seminary and earned his degree. Tragedy struck once again in his life when his second fiancée died sometime before their wedding date. Discouraged and despondent, he often prayed that the Lord would take him home. Ira Sankey, the music director for D.L. Moody, noted that Scrivener wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus and sent it to his mother in Ireland to comfort her when she was sick. Scrivener died unexpectedly at an early age after falling ill and after going for a walk was found dead unexpectedly in a nearby river. After Scrivener's death, a friend would set this poem that he wrote to music as words have given comfort to so many since their original composition in 1855. And some of you might know them. Verse 1 says this, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 3 goes on, talks about friendship. It says, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Those words are powerful. Those words are meaningful, but written by a man with a broken heart. And if you study the hymns and if you study the history behind, they weren't written by people that were just had their life all together and their life was perfect. They wrote it out of an expression of their grief and their difficulty and their challenges. You don't have to be a perfect person to be in church. It is only Christ that makes us perfect. He forgives the past. He helps us to heal from the past. And he puts us on a path and a direction to change our future. Some of us are trying to wait and are saying, like, you know, I, I'll come to church when I get my act together and when I get cleaned up. 
That's like taking a bath before going to take a shower. That's like being sick or having a head wound and saying, when I get better, I'll go to the hospital. Like if you've got like a massive wound and you're bleeding out, guess where you need to go? You need to go to the hospital so you can get better, so you can heal up. Some of us are still limping around life, saying, when I get better, when I get things together, then I'll go to church because that's where perfect people are. I hope that's not where perfect people are because they'd have to leave the platform. <laughs> Listen, this is the hospital where you get better. This is the place where you get restored. This is the place where God changes and transforms life. It's not a place of perfect people. It's a place where God makes us perfect and holy and we strive for perfection knowing that we stumble and fall along the way. But there's someone there to pick us up and to help us along the way. God's there to help us in one another. We help each other out and we help each other grow. One of the biggest lies you could ever hear is like, you know what, you don't need to go to church when things are, are bad. Or you don't need to go to church when you've been bad. Because God doesn't want you there. That's what the devil would want you to think. But you need to come to church when you're at your worst. Why? Because that's where you go to get help and strength. I wrap this up by saying, how do you view Jesus? How do you think of him? Is he just a figure in stained glass windows? Is he someone that's illustrated in the pages of a storybook? Is he someone that's a statue in a front lawn somewhere? Is he someone that you see as cold and unapproachable and that you can't relate to? I would remind you today of the stories of the gospel. Read through the gospels of John and, and the gospels of Luke and Matthew and Mark, and you'll see that Jesus went where people were, met them where they are, showed them God's love and compassion, and changed their life forevermore. That's what Jesus did, and that's what he does. I remember being a Christian and coming to Christ at the age of 11, 35 years ago. 36 now, actually. And that journey started just innocently enough. It started in a very simple sort of way. But can I tell you that through the darkest times of my life, Christ has been there. To the times of my life where I've struggled and I felt like I wanted to quit or give up, and times I even felt like I wanted to die, Jesus was there for me. And he brought me out of those dark places. He brought me out of those places where I've been hurt and I've been troubled and gone through difficulty, and he set my feet on a solid rock to walk upon. And I've been graciously blessed to be able to walk with Jesus and introduce other people to Jesus and to see Jesus do works in their lives. I've seen... Uh, blind eyes open. I've seen ears be unstopped and healed. I know of people who've had cancer in their lungs and the, the nodal goes away after people pray for him. So uh, the Jesus that I serve and walk with is not someone distant that I have to somehow appease some way, but that he's someone that's present and there for me and has been with me all of my life. And I want you to know that today because it can be that way for you too. He wants you to know who he is. As the worship team comes back to the front, as we get ready to close this service, I want you to think about these words today. I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love that you could never experience anywhere else in Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. 
We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.